So as I mentioned, we're making our way through this series called Uncommon. And uh, just in case you didn't bring your Bible, I want to mention uh, we do have, uh, we, we use the YouVersion app, um, which allows us to kind of leave notes, uh, verses, and Bible notes, and you can fill in your own notes in there. If you go to the events section, you'll find the Harbor Churches Live right now, and that will allow you to follow along with the notes that we've provided or to add your own. So we're in the series Uncommon, and this series has been focusing on all the different uh, types and aspects of relationships that we have with each other. And here's what we've discovered so far. Everybody wants healthy, life-giving relationships. No one finds a friend and says, my goal is to, to, to marry you and to have a broken marriage. Nobody says, uh, I want a friendship that's going to end with the I'm never talking to you again conversation. None of us want that. That's never a goal that we start out with, but sometimes we end up there. And The good news is that good relationships are possible. However, they're not probable if you're going to go about them the world's way. But if we want to change the way we develop and uh, manage our relationships, then we need God's help. We can't do this by ourselves. So we've been camping on this passage together in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, as the basic principle behind this series. So here it is in the message version. I'm going to read it for you. Romans 12, 1 to 2. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. And now here's the big, the big important part for us. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit right into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So that verse tells us that we need God to do something in us before we can do anything that he's ever asked us to do. We need to ask him to enable us, to change us, to become the people who are able to fulfill the things that he asks us to do. And the fact is, God has a purpose behind each and every one of the relationships that we have with people. And so far in this series, we've talked about two aspects of relationships. In the first week, we talked about uncommon love and Pastor Adam said that to experience the fullness of love and to be able to give that to the people around us, first we have to be able to accept and receive the love of God. The secret to love is being loved by God. And we display that to others by showing love for others. And we display our love for God by showing love for others. And last week we talked about uncommon commitment. And we said that commitment means staying loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood that you were in when you said it is gone. Which happens all the time, right? We make a promise or we make a commitment and then all of a sudden we feel a different way and we think that that makes it okay to break our commitment. We said that the world has a, really, uh, has a system for commitment which is to find the perfect person, to fall in love, to put all of your expectations, your hopes and your dreams on them and then to leave when there's any sign or any uh, aspect of failure, it's time to move on. It's time to find somebody else. They did, not exceed, they did not meet your expectations. But God says that our job is to become the right person, not to find the right person, 
to work on becoming the right person and then to walk in love instead of falling an emotion and a feeling, we choose to walk, which is a, a choice, an active decision that happens. And then to put all of your hopes and dreams on God because he's the only one who can actually carry them. And then if there's any kind of failure, repeat steps one, two, and three. So continue working on becoming the right person. Uh, continue um, to walk in love even when it's a hard choice to make. And then continue keeping your hopes and dreams focused on God. Today we're talking about uncommon communication. And I got I to gotta say, this is just such an important part of our relationships, but it's so difficult because it's really hard to execute this well and consistently, especially when you think about all the interactions, all the different type of people, all the different ways we communicate. You may use phrases with one person that you don't use with an, another person. And there's just so much difference to all the conversations that we have. I saw this post uh, online a few days ago. This mom was sharing this like little miscommunication she had with her daughter on social media. Here's what she said. My toddler was playing at the playground and she was about to hit her head, so I told her to duck. She quacked and then hit her head. <laughs> so these communications add this level of difficulty, and to make it even harder, it's a two-way street. So not only do I have to try in my very best to communicate clearly and as, as well as I can to you in a conversation, I also have to figure out how to interpret what you're trying to say to me and take it how it's meant to be taken. Now, sometimes that's really easy to do. Other times, that can be really difficult. I, I heard this comedian, and he, he said that women have found uh, any means possible to turn any compliment into an insult. And I'm not saying every woman does this or anything. I just, this is in here for a little bit of comic relief. Okay, but, so he said, I told my wife, you look really nice today. So what did she say? Do I look terrible every other day? She said, you're really photogenic. She says, so I don't look as good off camera. And sometimes misinterpretation and miscommunication can be funny, but sometimes it can also be really damaging. And it's our pattern of bad communication or misinterpretation that creates a lot of the relationship contexts that we find ourselves in today. The reality is, at least the majority of the time, the world's way of communicating sucks. And if you don't believe me, just go online, look for a conversation about a decently divisive topic and read the comments section. And technology has probably worsened this process because anytime you add something, a new medium to communicate in, you have to learn a whole new way of communicating and you have to figure out how to maintain those relationships as well. When it comes to online, it's probably the easiest context to communicate poorly and to not care. Now you've got comments, sections, video game chats, website threads, and all sorts of other places to communicate. Like a while back, I heard this woman share her political opinions on an app, and people disagreed with her so strongly that they felt moved to lie to her. They found out where she worked, made false complaints to give her a bad rep, and she got fired from her job because of her political opinion that was shared on social media. Regardless of where you communicate, unhealthy communication is damaging, and once we recognize that, it's our responsibility, especially as believers, to try and work on doing less damage and bringing more value to the relationships that we have. So here's the bottom line of the message today. If we want healthy, life-giving relationships, we need to develop healthy, life-giving communication. So how do we do that? Well, we do what Romans 12 verse 2 said. We find a better way we find God's way. 
Because communication isn't just important to us, it's important to God. Think about it. God is not just one person. He's actually three in one, three persons in perfect relationship. So if there's anybody who knows how to have a good relationship and how to communicate well, it's God. And God divinely inspired everybody who wrote something in the Bible to write what they wrote, which means the things that we read in the Bible are God's opinions on things. So what does God say about the importance of communication? Well, Proverbs 15.4 says, Gentle words bring life and health, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. James 1.26, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. That's a pretty strong statement. So where do our relationships need better communication? Maybe you have the same argument all the time with your spouse and it always ends up nowhere and you both feel hurt. Or maybe you're trying to find the right person, but when you feel like you do, you struggle to tell them how you really feel. Or maybe you have a friend where you feel like it's only a matter of time before the next time something comes up, you're going to explode and and distance yourselves again. Regardless of what type of communication we need to work on, God is the best person to go to for help. But before I talk about how we should communicate, I want to quickly address some red flags, some barriers to healthy communication. I'm going to call these the world's way. So number one in the world's way is withdrawal. Withdrawal is closing the conversation by leaving the context that it's in or by refusing to speak. So it could also be the silent treatment. Withdrawal says the answer to conflict is distance. Withdrawal is the category where we find things, like I said, like like the silent treatment or storming off in an angry exit uh, and leaving everybody hurt. And it's frustrating for everybody because if you're the one giving the silent treatment, it's probably because you were wrong about something and you don't want to continue the conversation. It was because you either got hurt and you want to just exit and deal with it at another time or because you feel like the other person won't hear you out. So my best solution is just to close the conversation. And if you're the one receiving the silent treatment, you might feel ignored, again, hurt, or you feel like you were just about to win the argument. My point was so close to being made, and then they just closed on me. There is a healthy way of withdrawing, and it can kind of eliminate this one as a whole. It's basically just pausing to say, hey, there's a lot of heat in this moment. I'm not feeling like I can communicate clearly to you and well to you, and I want to do that, so I'm just going to distance myself for a little bit and then come back, and we'll resolve this. The second one is escalation. So escalation is what happens when we let our tempers flare and we don't kind of calm ourselves in that moment. And escalation says the answer to conflict is being louder than the other person. An escalation can be sped up by things that aren't even in the immediate conversation. If you've got stress, if you've had a bad day, if you've been dealing with disappointment or uh, a hard, having a hard time with mental health, all of those things can just like trigger escalation very quickly. So regardless of the cause of the escalation, the result is the same. When we let our anger build, when we let our heart rate lift, that part of our minds goes, that, that says, hey, you should care about that person, sometimes just goes out the window. And we become hurtful. And that leads us to number three, which is belittling. So belittling is when we use our words to devalue someone. So if we can't escalate and get above them to a point where we feel like, hey, I'm winning this conflict, 
I'm conquering it. If we can't do that, then we say, well, if I can't get to your level, I'm just going to lower you so that I'm still above you. And most often we do that with insults. And for some reason when I was writing this, my brain went right to Toy Story when Buzz and Woody are arguing with each other and Buzz just says, you are a sad, strange little man. But we do that by making someone else feel like they have no credibility, like their failures are, are too much for them to be able to give anything useful to a conversation. It's, it's kind of like poking the bear. And then again, the goal is escalation or to make the other person erupt or to withdraw. And then we think they're better than, we're better than them and that we've won, but it still leaves things unresolved. And number four, this is the most dangerous one. This is false belief. False belief is when we try and solve a conflict by believing or convincing other people of a lie. And this is the most dangerous thing we can do in communication. And it's one of the most damaging things that you can do in a relationship. John chapter 8 verse 44 says that the devil is a liar, that he's the father of all lies. So what does that mean? It means when we lie, we're actually using the devil's methods in our communication. It's one of the most dangerous things you can do. Because the lies can actually become realities in our mind, and then it becomes not a lie, but a tool in the, to resolve the conflict, even though we know it's not going to work. But lies just destroy our relationships. In the story of Cain and Abel, the two brothers presented offerings to God, and God approved Abel's, but not Cain's. And Cain became angry, and God tried to warn Cain. He said, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to overcome you, but you have got to learn how to master it. And of course, Cain didn't. But sin, even when we have good intentions, has its own goals that are contrary to ours. It's like trying to use something that's automatically going to be detrimental and thinking, yeah, but if I just turn it this way, it'll be okay. If you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, uh, the main character who's kind of like on this mission as a group, but also as an individual, to destroy this ring because it's evil, throughout the show, he has different uh, moments where he's wrestling with using the ring for his own purposes because it kind of has an immediate effect of making you invisible. But every time he uses that, it makes like the bad, bad guy know exactly where he is. So it kind of puts him in immediate danger while also saving his life. And sin is like that. But our words have so much power. And, and if you think about it, the greatest sin that we could ever commit, the Bible calls blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's this like repeated rejection of God's offer of salvation to the point where we harden our hearts. We say, I don't want anything to do with God. And we proclaim with our, with our mouths, with our words, the exact opposite of what we know to be true about God. And Jesus brought it up in a serious moment. He, was, he had just driven a demon out of a demon-possessed man, and the Pharisees said he did that by being in affiliation with the devil, not with God. But it's a sin that we commit with our words. The worst possible sin you can commit is one with your mouth. Our words have so much power, and that power can be leveraged for good or for evil. But there are serious consequences with the way that we use our words. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 35 to 37, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. That's a serious verse. Every careless word we speak. But there's good news because there's another way. There's God's way. And when we communicate God's way, things can turn around for the better. So I'm going to kind of give you two kind of general elements, general thoughts to put behind the idea that the way you want to communicate to turn things from a really negative context and and being hurtful and frustrating other people to actually benefiting and uplifting people in a conversation. So the first one is add value. We need to seek to add value to the people around us, which means building each other up. Romans 15.5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So how do we communicate in a way that adds value to each other? I'm going to kind of give you three. The first one is praise and compliments. This, this is approving and admiring the qualities within somebody else. So we can, in a, in a conversation, no matter whether it's just like first thing in the morning or right in the middle of a conflict, every once in a while I think we really need to pause and just admire and approve of the good qualities we find in the people around us. You can say you're patient, and I really appreciate that about you. You can say you're kind. You can say, I love the way that you do this, and, and, and it makes me feel fantastic as a friend or as a spouse or whatever it might be. Pointing out the good things in people and adding value in and putting a focus on the qualities that we see and appreciate in the people around us. The second is celebrating and highlighting the things that people do. So praise and compliments are kind of who people are. But highlighting and celebrating things is about highlighting and drawing attention to the great things that people do. Gratitude is something that you express, and it takes the effect around you. Uh, and whereas thankfulness is a feeling within you. Both of those things are good, um, but we need to express both. So for example, saying, I'm thankful for my friends, it adds a value within us for the people around us, which is great because we need that. We need that for our heart to appreciate the things around us, but then saying, I'm so grateful to call you my friend, or I'm so grateful that we're married, uh, even if you haven't heard that in like 20 years. It's a, an amazing thing, and it can change a, a relationship so much. And you know what? The best part of communicating in a way that adds value to the people around you is that it rarely turns out negative. Most often, the, the main kind of responses you'll get is either a thank you, a lot of joy, no answer at all, or a little bit of indifference. But that's a pretty low risk. So that's not so bad considering the amount of impact that it can have in our relationships. So the first thing we do is we seek to add value. The second thing we do is we seek to protect. We seek to protect the way that God has spoken over the people around us. Because when we devalue a person, we're actually challenging the truths that God has spoken into that person's life. Remember, God knows us. He knits us together in our mother's wombs. He knows us from before the world begins. And he's already spoken things over us. He's already destined us for certain things. And so when we disagree with that, when we devalue a person, we're actually saying, actually, God, I know you created them, and I know you know everything, but you're wrong, which is a really dangerous thing to do. So how do we ensure that we're seeing the value and potential that God sees in the people around us? And how do we acknowledge and value that potential? The first thing we can do is encouragement. 
This is giving support, confidence, and hope, and putting those things into that person. So as opposed to uh, looking at somebody and instantly recalling all of the negative things about somebody, encouragement says, I really believe in you. I'm confident in what you're able to do. I know the characteristics that are inside you, and I want to draw those out. I want to draw attention to them. You could say something like, I just want you to know that I see a lot of obstacles ahead of you, but I believe in you. It could be something as simple as God has really big plans for you. When I was young, somebody told me, Nick, you are wise beyond your years. I had to Google that because it didn't make any sense to me, but I understand what it means now. It means that at the time, I was at least a little bit more mature than people my age. And you know what? Yeah, sometimes I may have let that get to my head and probably made some foolish, prideful decisions, but you know what it made me do? It made me chase after wisdom. When somebody says, you are wise, it makes me go, oh man, I'd really love that. And then I seek that. And if I seek it in God, then I find it. Another thing we can do is approach people in our relationships with kindness, which is being supportive and being friendly. It means carrying a gentle spirit. It means being able to be approachable, being able to create an environment where people feel like they can come to you and they will receive kindness. It can be being a great listener. I heard somebody say this week, the most loving words that you can ask your spouse are, and then what happened? Because it means you're listening. It means you're paying attention and it means you want more because a lot of the times we just hear a star and we go, oh yeah, okay. But if we say, and then what happened? All of a sudden we're creating this environment where somebody else wants to share with us. And then the last one is speaking the truth in love. And there are two important pieces of this. The truth and love. So how do we speak the truth in love? Well, the first part is obviously speak the truth. Know what the truth is and only say what you know is true. You also need to determine the motives for the things you're sharing. Because a lot of the time I feel like when we try to put the, the Bible behind certain things like this, we go, oh, I'm just speaking the truth in love. But sometimes our motives are actually elevating ourselves. Or I'm going to just speak the truth in love to them, but, but the motive is actually really lowering somebody else. So what is your motive? Is it to elevate you? Is it to lower somebody else? Or is it to help someone and to make the truth known? Another way we can prepare ourselves to speak the truth in love is to actually love people. If I preached a message on Sunday and my thoughts had nothing to do with caring about all the relationships in this room and, and for the people who are online, then I would speak truth, but I wouldn't speak it in love. You need both pieces because if you speak the truth but you don't have love, you come off as a self-righteous jerk. That's kind of what happens. But if you communicate love, but you don't speak the truth, then what you say is meaningless. You come off as a liar who just wants to create harmony in a group of people. And the last is communicate with a, a gentle and a patient spirit. If you speak the truth in love to me, I might not get it on the first go. I may not figure things out right away. I might not even want your truth, whether it has love behind it or not. But don't fail the person you're speaking to by when they choose not to receive that truth and love by failing back to going back and communicating the world's way when that person doesn't want to hear you. So if you do end up speaking the truth and love with the right motives, 
by actually speaking to the truth, by having a healthy relationship with them, and they don't want to hear it, just don't go back to doing the things you did before because you're frustrated with the result or the immediate response. God knows what he's up to. I know I've thrown a lot of information out there and this has been a little bit of an informational sermon this morning and probably a lot of it is still processing, but I think we can all agree that if we want to keep working on our communication, we need to be more like Jesus. Like I know he was condemning at times, I know he spoke the truth in love and it hurt a little bit at times, but is there anyone you'd rather listen to or hear from than Jesus? Is there anyone you'd rather speak to and know that he's listening to you than Jesus? If we want to be like him, we need his help. And that verse said, we need to focus on him and he'll change us into the people that we need to be to be able to fulfill the works that he's set aside for us. And I'm going to give you a few steps. But before I do that, I want us to sing another song with the worship team. And I want us to take a moment in this moment to show our love and gratitude for God considering Romans 12 too the fact that he doesn't just throw all these expectations on us and say give it your best shot but he says if you meet me in the middle if you put the work in if you allow me to mold you and shape you into the person that's slowly becoming more and more like me then I'll enable you I will change you and I'll make you able through the Holy Spirit to succeed in all the things that I have for you to do. So let's take a moment and worship together again with the worship team.